As I sit here writing this, the 20th episode of the Pouring My Art Out podcast in my nearly illegible handwriting, I am not yet sure what this episode will be called. Most likely it will be one of the following titles. The Power of Words, or Speech. The Art of Public Speaking. The Art of Control. Manipulating the Masses. Words as Weapons. That's a good one. Free speech with a question mark, but no strike that. I am going to call this episode The Art of Persuasion because I am making all those other points as I go, but this time I will be talking about how words, much like a hammer, can be used for building or for destroying. But first, a word from a new sponsor. New from Drumpf Industries, it's Sanitan, the spray-on tanning formula that also kills germs. Yes, you can look healthy and be healthy at the same time. Comes in many, many shades like Sunset Orange, Super Outdoorsy, Basketball Orange, Sporty, Carrot Orange, A Healthy Vegetable, Poppy Field Orange, So Natural, Orangutan Orange, Take a Walk on the Wild Side, and Orange Juice Orange with Added Moisturizer. And try our new hairspray, guaranteed to keep your hair where you want it no matter what. You could stick a clump of dead prairie grass on your head and it would stay there in a hurricane. So try Hair Holder and Sanitan from Drumpf Industries. Thanks to regulation rollbacks, these products are assumed to be safe for non-continual human use in moderate doses. May cause chaotic thinking, difficulty following conversations, hives, blisters, rashes, impotency, and the inability to process written words. I have said before that words are the best thing humans ever invented, and they have an almost mystical power. They can pass on information, teach ideas, hand down history and knowledge. They can express love, but they can also express hate. The idea for this post, oddly, came from my friend and fellow security guard, Robert. I say oddly because it isn't like I don't have tons of episode ideas already lined up. But this idea keeps growing bigger in my thoughts, and it speaks, if you will pardon the poor pun, to the times we live in. I don't know how early in the development of language our ancestors discovered that words could be used to convince other people to do or think something that they weren't going to do or think on their own. I guess there must have been a caveman who could convince other cave people to get behind some new idea, but I have a hard time imagining some caveman standing on a big rock giving a speech. It was the creation of civilization that gave us the combination of factors that led to language being monetized and weaponized. We invented religion and money and politics. Not that early hunter-gatherers didn't have shamans and chiefs, but these ideas grew and got more complex. Religions and political factions had to compete with one another and sometimes against each other. 
Yes, there has always been salesmen who used words to sell a sick camel or a broken down car. But now people were selling ideas and answers. Give me your money and I can make the afterlife pleasurable. Give me your vote and I will fix the potholes in your street. I have all the answers. I have the only answers. Give me money. Do what I say. Trust me. Persuasion is an art. In order for anyone to get anyone else to do what they want them to, they need to either be in a position of power or have something to offer in return. Someone who isn't a naturally persuasive person can become one. You can have lots of money. This guarantees that most people will do what you tell them to. Or you can have some form of physical domination. You might listen to a boring idiot if, say, he was pointing a gun at your head. But by far the most dangerous, or conversely impressive, of all persuasive people are the natural-born ones. We have all known smooth talkers. We have all seen natural salesmen at work. Every so often, a person is born who is able to use words in ways that most of us can't. And like most things that humans do, this can be used for good or for evil. Let's take religion first. I guess Jesus was a pretty powerful public speaker, but it is hard to differentiate between the historical human figure and the divine son thing. So, Dr. Martin Luther King. That guy could use words. I have a dream. Oh yeah. Visions of a future where race doesn't mean anything on an individual basis. Hard to argue with that, but people still do. I mean, one asshat disagreed with his dreams so much that he shot him. You can't kill a dream with bullets, you freaking moron. But what about when that dream is really a nightmare? Jim Jones and David Koresh spring immediately to mind. Warped thinking is often linked with the gift of powerful words. I don't know why this is. Is it something people have in spite of their mental torment? Or do some mental aberrations actually come with the ability to sway people? What is cause and what is effect? Hey, 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 Arthur, it's Jimmy. This reminds me of something I have to tell you. Hey, buddy, what's up? So, you know that Catholic squirrel priest who was helping us with the drug-addicted imaginary animal sanctuary? Father O'Reilly? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, we had to get rid of him. Do I want to know why? Let's just say that the last thing anybody needs around them is a Catholic squirrel priest who can talk people into doing things. Enough said, Jimmy. Okay, bye, Arthur. Now, where was I? This, it turns out, isn't an easy topic to put a comedic twist on. I will say on the subject of religion that there is one group of powerful speakers that both amuse and astound me, and that is the televangelists. Just the idea that someone can come on your TV and use words to get you to send them money without offering anything but vague promises in return seems crazy to me. It seems to say more about the listeners than the speakers themselves. People, or so the evidence indicates, are, by a vast majority, sheep. They want to be led. If a person sounds like they know what they are talking about, many people stop paying attention to the content and get swept up in the emotion. This segues neatly into another topic, politicians. On the positive side, many great politicians have used their ability with words to bring people together to face times of overwhelming crisis. Abe Lincoln kept the North in a civil war when often the cause seemed doomed. The obvious other side of the coin is Adolf Hitler. 
Why is it that a funny, pompous, mediocre little man with both delusions of grandeur and a vast inferiority complex who wasn't that bright and whose words weren't that well thought out galvanized millions of people to follow him? For that matter, let's talk about another man with similar traits who also has ridiculous hair and ask the same questions of Donald Trump. The lies are blatant, the ideas ill-conceived and nonsensical, but the tone, that must be the secret. That ability to sound sure of yourself, to seem secure in your greatness even while crying out for attention, to be validated and noticed and applauded. Shouting out over and over that you are the only one who has the answers seems to work on a lot of people, even if the answers are often vague or false. So maybe it isn't the speakers themselves. Maybe most of it is in the listeners. The need many people have to be told that everything will be okay, that others are to blame for your failings. I mean, I get it. Being in sole control of your own destiny is scary. How nice if someone else has the answers you don't have. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I am way too cynical and stubborn to just do what I'm told by anybody. Ask my wife or my mom. You aren't going to find me in a cult. I can't even get myself to take the big name legitimate religions seriously. No Charles Manson is going to get me to go off on a killing spree. If I ever decide to kill anybody, I will base the decision on my own criteria, like defending my life or someone else's. But it is amazing how worked up people can get over the words of a powerful speaker. Boycott the others morphs over time to beat them up, to lock them up, and then worse. Lock her up. Is that one step on the road to string her up? I hope not. I know, this is one of those annoying episodes where I ask lots of questions and answer almost none. On top of that, it isn't particularly funny, but that's life. It's complicated. If I had any answers to what makes this stuff possible, it would be this, or these. Some people respond to a powerful personality, a voice that sounds like leadership, a voice empowered with complete confidence, even if that confidence is a side effect of a disturbed mind. Like dogs, some people hear tone of voice with no attention paid to meaning. Some people feel more secure being told what to do, what to think, and some people like to have some other group pointed out to them to blame their troubles and failures on. People also like to have other people to hate. I don't know why this is, but it explains why the bad leaders always point to some group as the enemy. They are taking your jobs. They are responsible for all your troubles. Okay, let's put this into more personal terms. What would you do if a member of your own family that you have known and trusted and loved all your life suddenly jumped up on the kitchen table and started shouting that short people were the enemy? And they told you to go around the neighborhood beating up short people. And in a few weeks telling you to throw all the short people into the cages that appeared in your backyard. And then your loved one says that the short people will have to do chores for a while, but you will probably end up killing them. While you are pondering this, you are told that now that your own neighborhood is free of these dang short people, you and all the other tall people are going to start going into all the surrounding neighborhoods, building cages and locking up the short people there. Oh, and you are going to stay in those neighborhoods and show the tall people who are there that they aren't much better than the short people because they didn't grow up in your neighborhood. What would your reaction be? Red 
Yes, it's the red hot, slightly used, recycled, repurposed Trump hat emporium. As his base deserts Trump in droves, there is a question of what to do with all those Make America Great hats. The red hot, slightly used, recycled, repurposed Trump hat emporium has warehouses full of these Chinese import hats. Now, for a low price, you can cover your head and make a sarcastic point all at the same time. Our talented artists using the newest logo stitching sewing machines will customize these embarrassments to the national consciousness. We will X out the word great and replace it with the word of your choice. Make America think again. Make America read again. Make America healthy again. Make America sane again. Make America bearable again. Make America free again. Make America smart again. Go online and order your hat today at the Red Hot Slightly Used Recycled Repurposed Trump Hat Emporium website. Recycled Repurposed Trump Hat Emporium Emporium On a semi-related note, I am actually a fairly good public speaker, which is weird considering the fact that I am painfully shy. My favorite story of public speechifying goes like this. My wife, daughters, and I traveled to Iowa to meet many other family members in order to celebrate the 50th wedding anniversary of my wife's Uncle Bill and his wife. On and around Uncle Bill's farm, which has been in his family since the Civil War, people gathered. I don't know where exactly everyone stayed, but there were other farms nearby owned by other family members, and people brought RVs. I suppose some stayed in the nearest town, which was tiny and still had the drugstore with the malt shop where Uncle Bill and his wife had their first date. The speech I was honored to give had to do with the fact that Uncle Bill had fought on Okinawa in the South Pacific during World War II as a Marine, and a lot of his Marine buddies had showed up for the festivities. The focal point of this days-long party took place in the town's meeting hall, packed with I don't know, 400, 500 people, including many, many locals. I had been working on the speech for a few days, wandering around the farm and out into the cornfields. I had to give a speech about a horrible, bloody battle that caught the idea of it without making all the old ladies faint and the little kids scream and barf. Next thing I know, I am on stage in this old meeting hall, looking out over a crowd of people, all looking back at me expectantly. Here is what I said. I still have a copy of the speech I typed up years ago from my handwritten version. Okay, here it is. Close your eyes and picture a place hotter and more humid than this, with steep hills and deep gullies covered with thick woods that keep the damp, steamy air dark and still. In these woods and up and down these slopes, young men from farms, cities, and towns play a deadly game of hide-and-seek. And when you are tagged it, it is with rifle and bayonet, grenade and mortar. While all the while the hot sky above is a tangle and swirl of diving planes, whooshing rockets, singing shell fragments, zinging sniper and machine gun bullets, and malaria-carrying mosquitoes. The young men playing this horrid game in this godforsaken playground joined the game mostly because of a simple American value called fair play. On December 7th, a few years earlier, at a place called Pearl Harbor, 
Other young men had made it known that there were other teams on the playground that would not play fair. Well, our men could play a new game by a new set of rules also, even though they didn't like it. And the new bully boys on the block could be taken down a peg or two. On April 1st, 1945, Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day, these young men, some really just boys, met on a new corner of this worldwide playground where the game was played for keeps. They brought their toys, 50 or more pounds each, and all the gear needed for the game. The only thing missing were referees, because there were no rules, except don't get tagged. Tag the other guy, any way you can. And they, the guys raised on fair play and rules to follow, were getting pretty good at roughhousing with these new cheaters who were trying to run the playground their own way. Among the new teams on this chilling playground were the 6th Marines, under the overall command of Lieutenant General Simon Bolivar Buckner, son of a famous Confederate war leader. These bad boys had learned the new rules quickly and had lots of practice at it. They liked to play rough. This corner of the playground was called Okinawa, and it was right in the bad part of town, the backyard of one of the bully boys who had picked this fight in the first place. One of the worst parts of this bad part of town was a mound of coral and volcanic rock with the inappropriately beautiful name of Sugarloaf Hill, maybe 75 feet high and 300 yards long. It may have been beautiful once, but now the trees and bushes were blasted away by shell fire, and it looked like a large meteor smashed into the desolate ground, cratered and smoking, scarred and blackened. And in every hole and crevice, determined men from the other team, led by Lieutenant General Mitsuru Ushijima, lay waiting for the game to begin again. In mixed company, I won't go into details. Suffice it to say that this game of King of the Hill went on for days. Sometimes one team was king, sometimes the other. Sometimes one team owned one half while the other team had the other side, and a crazy game of toss developed. Not baseballs, but grenades arcing over the crest of the hill, and the game continued into extra innings. Up and down, back and forth, this wrestling match between two cultures rocked, punctuated by the frightening sounds of the ultimate game of chance, the high-stakes game of war. Please bear in mind that I used the word game only to soften the imagery. It is not something for those of us that were not there to dwell upon too deeply. But what about those of us that were there? on the ground and in the air. To these men, many who never returned, and to those who waited breathlessly at home, we all owe a debt. As a historian, I am acutely aware of how the world we know has been shaped by these brave individuals. Our children play on their playgrounds without fear because of the horrors they endured, and although to hear them talk now, it may all seem like a glorious game, a Don Quixote-like adventure, we must remember that after all, war is no game. More lives were lost on this one small island, including civilians, than in both atomic blasts at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I personally and humbly thank you all, and God bless you. 72394 for our own unsung hero, Uncle Bill. Now the thing is... Hey, hello, thing. Hey, yeah, how's it going, so the thing is, I didn't know there was going to be a band on stage behind me. Not a big band, maybe like five people, but the trumpet player was right behind me, and they were playing the Marine Corps hymn while I talked into the microphone. 
And right as I started, they dimmed the lights, except for ones shining right in my eyes. So I couldn't tell if anyone could hear me because the speakers were on the side of the stage facing the audience and the music was so loud. And I couldn't see the people anymore to get visual clues. I just plowed on. When I was done, the music stopped and the lights came back up and people were just staring at me. No applause, no thumbs up. I was beginning to panic when I saw an old Marine with tears on his cheeks. I saw other cheeks glistening in the lights. It was a moving moment for me. Okay, that's our show. We will play you out with the Drumpf Industries song and the theme for Red Hot Slightly Used Recycled Repurposed Trump Hat Emporium. Okay, bye people. Okay, bye people. Slightly used, recycled.
recycled, repurposed Trompad Emporium. Red Hot, slightly used, recycled, repurposed Trompad Emporium. Red Hot, slightly used, recycled, repurposed Trompad Emporium. Yeah. Red Hot, Red Hot, Red Hot. Slightly used, recycled, repurposed, trumped, hat, emporium, emporium. <laughs>